Um, the reason I had Valerie read out that passage was because we have examples for us. Examples in the Old Testament of what not to do. That's what it said in the passage. These are examples to us. These people in the Old Testament are examples to us of what we should not do. And so we have that as well in, um, is the sound on? Sorry. I don't know if you, well, I have it on here. I don't know if you have it on there. Apologies. Hello? I mean, you can hear me anyway, right? Okay, yeah. I'm like, everybody, yeah, yeah, we can hear you. Okay. These guys in the Old Testament, they were examples of what we shouldn't do, of what not to do. And so when we look at this passage here, and when we look at Samson and his life, I want you to see Samson as an example of what you are not to do and who you are not to be. Some people will look at Samson and they will say, Samson is a positive example. Some people, even scholars, will say, Samson is a guy who we should follow after in many different ways in his life. But I would say to you this, I see Samson in a very bad light. And I will read one verse to you to prove that to you. It is in the, it is in the very first verse of Judges chapter 16. We'll start very slow at the start and we'll pick it up after a while. But I just want you to see this first verse as an example of a man of what you should not do. Judges chapter 16 verse 1. Samson went to Gaza and there he saw a prostitute and went into her. An example of what not to do. Samson goes to Gaza, he sees a prostitute, and he goes into her. Very kind of graphic stuff. You know, if the book of Judges, if the book of Judges was a film, no Christians would have, in good conscience be able to watch it. If it was a film, we would struggle to watch it. If it was a film, we wouldn't send our children to it, we wouldn't go to it because it would definitely be over 18s. And so this morning, if it is your first morning in the book of Judges with us, and if you're just coming in, you will realize that this is kind of strange. Do they always do this every Sunday? Well, the book in the Bible does it. And so if the book in the Bible talks about it, we'll do what? We will talk about it. Not all books are as strange as this, but this certainly takes the cake in terms of its strangeness. And here we see Samson, a man who is doing what? He is following after his senses. He is driven by his senses. He is driven by what he sees, smells, tastes, hears, touches. And so what happens is he comes to Gaza and he sees a prostitute. And when he sees something, he just tries to grab it for himself. And so what's the problem for him? Well, the problem is this. The place he is and what he does in the place. He goes to Gaza. Where is Gaza? Gaza is like 40 miles away from his hometown. So people would say to me, you know, Shane, when you were saying that he was going down to Timnah, you kept making a big deal about him going down and him going down and him going down. That's just what the passage says. Maybe, maybe the passage is just telling us where he is. Maybe it doesn't matter. But the deal is this. He is in Gaza, which is 40 miles away from his hometown, which is far south into Philistine territory, which is where he is not meant to go. And what does that speak to us? That speaks to us of intentionality. It would be like me going from passage to Clannacilty on foot and saying, oh, I don't know how I got here. I just happened to get here. 
How did I manage to make my... It speaks of intentionality. If I was to walk from here to Clonakilty, you would say, Shane, you meant that. And this is exactly what's the case for Samson. He ends up in Gaza, but he didn't just miraculously ends up there. He goes there for a certain purpose. He leaves God's land 40 miles away from his homeland, and he does what? He sees, he desires, he takes. Just like the woman who he wanted as his wife, he sees, he desires, he takes. Just like the honey that he saw and desired and he took. And now here, he sees the prostitute, he desires, and he takes. And his senses, his reaction to his senses, they get him in trouble. The Gazites, verse 2, were told, Samson has come here, and they surrounded the place and set an ambush for him all night at the gate of the city. They kept quiet all night, saying, let us wait till the light of the morning, then we will kill him. But Samson lay till midnight, and at midnight he arose and took hold of the doors of the gate of the city and the two posts and pulled them up, bar and all, and put them on his shoulders and carried them to the top of the hill that is in front of Hebron. Now here's the deal. Samson goes to be with a prostitute. They surround Samson. The Gazites surround Samson. And he knows they've surrounded him. And so he needs to escape. And so he's going to escape through the gate. They have everything all locked. But instead of just like, if you were escaping, if you were trying to run away, you would just burst through the gate, jump over the gate and run away. What Samson does is he grabs the gate, picks up the gate, bars and all, the passage says. Like this gate, we're, we're not quite sure how big it would have been. Probably maybe 12 foot long, 8 foot, eight foot high, whatever. 12 foot wide, 8 foot high. And he's lifting this big, massive gate. That's the point. Bars and all, the passage says. And he carries it with him to Hebron, which is what? Another over 40 miles away. So you think, like if you're trying to escape, just burst through the gate and run away. So what is his point? Grabs the gate, throws it on his shoulders, goes another 40 miles away on top of the hill in Hebron, which I'm told is about... It's to ascend another 2,000 foot. So he ascends another 2,000 foot at 40 miles with this massive gate. What is he doing? I submit to you this. I think Samson is showing off. He goes back to Judah. Hebron is the capital of Judah. He goes back to Judah. The guys who tied him up with new ropes in the previous passage pulls the gate up on top of the hill. I am Samson, no one can get me. That's what I think is happening here. There's no other reason, there's no rhyme nor reason for him to grab this gate and pull it except to display his own strength. And in all this, I think in all his pride, in all his doing whatever his eyes, um, whatever his eyes see and, and following after his own heart, I think we see a man in Samson who has forgotten who he is and who has forgotten who he is called to be. That's what I think we see in Samson. Samson is a man who has forgotten who he is and who has forgotten who he is called to be. Because Samson, he's a strong man, but Samson, he has one weakness. What's the weakness? It's women. 
That's his weakness. His weakness is women. Because after he pulls this gate up to Hebron, do you know what happens? Samson meets another woman. But this time, this time, Samson's in love. Poor fella. He's in love. Not with his wife, not with a prostitute, but he's in love with someone else. Verse 4. After this, after pulling the gate up onto the hill, after this, he loved a woman in the valley of Sorek, whose name was Delilah. You know Samson's in love. Do you know why I know Samson's in love? Because you don't hear the names of any of the other women that Samson is attached to. In chapter 13, Samson's mother, we don't know her name. In chapter 14, Samson's wife, we don't know her name. In chapter 16, with the prostitute, we do not know her name. But here, he is in love with Delilah. My, 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 Delilah. He's in love with Delilah. And what's the... <laughs> Dali's like, oh no, he's singing again. Okay. <laughs> Where does he find himself? It's not in Gaza this time. He finds himself in the Valley of Sorek. Say, what's the big deal about that? Again, it's Philistine country where he shouldn't be. And the Valley of Sorek is translated the Valley of the Choicest Vine. Where are you going to get your wine from? The Valley of the Choicest Vine. What is Samson doing? Samson is a Nazarite, and as a Nazarite, there are three things that he should not do. He should not cut his hair, he should not come in contact with a dead body, and he should not drink any wine. And yet, where does he find himself? In the valley of the choicest vine, living it up with Delilah. Samson is a man who is doing what is right in his own eyes. Samson is a man who has forgotten who he is and who he is called to be. And when you forget who you are and who you are called to be, there are consequences for that. Because while he's in love with Delilah, Delilah's in love with something else. Verse 5. And the lords of the Philistines came up to her and said to her, Seduce him, that won't be hard. Seduce him and see where his great strength lies. And by what means we may overpower him, that we may bind him to humble him. And we will each give you a thousand one hundred pieces of silver. So Delilah said to Samson, Please tell me where your great strength lies and how you might be bound that one subdue you. You see, all she needs is the money. She's not in love with him, she's in love with the money. And if you were offered this amount of money, you'd be tempted too. It's 1,100 each, which is, if there is five of them, which we think there were, if there's five of them, that's 5,100 each or more. And you have this 5,500 each. And this is what's offered to them, which is 550 times more than the average yearly salary that she's offered for this one act. Which, if in Ireland, say the average salary is about 40,000 and it's 550 times more, then she is offered, in today's equivalent, she is offered about 22 million for this one act. Who are you going to be in love with, the money or Samson? 
It's tempting, right? She wants to take the money, and so she attempts to find out his strength. And her first attempt, she comes, and in verse 6, like I already read out to you, please tell me where your great strength lies, and how, I might be, how you might be bound, so one could subdue you. What a weird relationship this is. Tell me how you might be bound. You'd think he'd be suspicious after that, right? Verse 7, she's, Samson said to her, if they bind me with seven fresh bowstrings and have not, um, that have not been dried, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. Then the lords of the Philistines brought up to her seven fresh bowstrings that had not been dried, and she bound him with them. Now she had men lying in ambush in an inner chamber. And she said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he snapped the bowstrings as a thread of flax snaps when it touches the fire. So the secret of his strength was not known. That's attempt number one. What do I need to bind you? Oh, fresh bowstrings. She does it, and he breaks it apart. What a weird relationship that is. How might I bind you? And then he lies to her. Attempt number one. And then attempt number two, because she wants the money. Verse 10, then Delilah said to Samson, behold, you have mocked me and told me lies. Please tell me how you might be bound. Why does she want to know? Imagine if you were being asked that. Tell me how you might be bound. Verse 11, and he said to her, is they bind me with new ropes? No, new ropes aren't going to work. If they bind me with new ropes that have not been used, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So Delilah took new ropes and bound him with them and said to him, The Philistines are upon you. And the men lying in ambush were in the inner chamber, but he snapped the ropes off his arms like a thread. Attempt two fails. Attempt number three. Verse 13, then Delilah said to Samson, until now you have mocked me and told me lies. Tell me how you might be bound. And he said to her, if you weave seven locks of my head with the web and fasten it tight with the pin, then I shall become weak and be like any other man. So while he slept, Delilah took the seven locks of his head and wove them into the web. And she made them tight with a pin and said to him, The Philistines are upon you, Samson. But he awoke from his sleep. And he pulled away the pin and the loom and the web. Third attempt failed. But you get this kind of feeling that she's slowly, slowly breaking him down because now he starts to mention the hair. And every man is smiling at me. Slowly, slowly wearing him down until he finally does what you want. Same thing happened with his wife. She started crying at him for seven days until she found out the riddle. After seven days, he was like, fine, I'll tell you the answer. Now here you have him with Delilah. Attempt one, fail. Attempt two, fail. Attempt three, starts to talk about the hair, but it's not exactly the same. And then she comes to attempt number four. And Delilah, she is smart. Because in attempt number four, do you know what she does in attempt number four? She brings out the love card. 
because she knows this guy's in love and I'm going to get my money. And so here's what she says. Verse 15. And she said to him, How can you say I love you when your heart is not with me? I mean, let's be honest with each other. Let's tell each other the truth. Why would we lie to one another? You have mocked me these three times and you have not told me where your great strength lies. And when she pressed him hard with her words, day after day, nagging and nagging and nagging, day after day, and urged him, his soul was vexed to death. Oh, I may as well just die. Did she ever stop? Verse 17, and he told her all his heart because he was in love. And he said to her, a razor has never come upon my head, for I have been a Nazarite to God from my mother's womb. If my head is shaved, which is a good look, by the way, (laughs) okay, okay. Probably proves why I'm not so strong. If my head is shaved, then my strength will leave me and I shall become weak and be like any other man. What does this tell us? I think this finally tells us that Samson knows exactly who he is and who he was called to be. I'm a Nazarite. I am to be devoted unto God. That means when Samson went to the vineyards, he knew exactly what he was doing. When Samson went to Gaza, he knew exactly what he was doing. When Samson went to the prostitute, he knew exactly what he was doing. When Samson picked up the fresh jawbone as a Nazarite, he knew exactly what he was doing. Except when the moment of temptation came for Samson, Again and again, Samson forgot who he was and who he was called to be. I think that can happen to us. I think we can forget who we are and forget who we're called to be. And I think that is a really dangerous thing for us. Recently, I've had to travel over to the States a couple of times. You know, when you get ready to travel over to the States, you have to get all your paperwork. I have student visas, I-20s, all this kind of stuff, making sure passports and date, getting everything ready, going on the air coach at like half five in the morning, trying to get up in the air coach at half five in the morning, get up to Dublin. You get up to Dublin, you go through the Irish security, which is nothing. You go through the Irish security, and then to go to the States, you have to go through American customs on this side before you get to go over there. When you go through American customs, that's a lot more serious. You go to the security thing, you have to take off your shoes, your belt, all of that kind of stuff, your, your Kindle, your iPad, all of those things. You put them out to the side, and then as you go through that security, you then come up for your interview. And as I'm looking, I'm kind of scanning, you know, all the guys in the boots. Who am I going to get? I hope I get a good one. I hope I get a nice guy. You know, none of them are ever happy. None of them seem, I'm sorry if one of you works as this, but none of them ever seem happy. And they have far too much power for what they get paid. 
And so here I am kind of rehearsing, like, what am I going to say? How is it going to work? What, what way is it going to be? And I hope, hope I get a nice guy. And I come up to him, and I am nervous. Every single time, I'm nervous. And then they ask me, like, what's your name? And, and, and as they ask me, what's my name? I'm like, Shane Dean. Where do you live? I, at Cork, Cork Passage West. It's by the sea, you know. It's, it's, it's across from Cove. That's where I live. I promise you, that's where I live. That's where I'm from. And I'm constantly feeling like he's, he's, he's thinking I'm lying. This is who I am. This is where I'm from. For whatever reason, whatever overtakes me, in that moment, I forget who I am. And I think for us as Christians, sometimes when the moment of temptation comes, I think we forget who we are, and I think we forget who we're called to be. No, we are not Nazarites, but we are Christians, and we're called to live as Christians. And one of the ways I think we can be encouraged to live as Christians is to constantly build on that foundation of who we are. Who we are in Christ Jesus. Because the moment that you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you know what it says of you in the Scriptures. The moment you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you are in Christ. That's your new identity. I don't care what your passport says. Your new identity is that you are in Christ. I don't care where you're from. If it's Passage, if it's Brazil, if it's Kenya, if it's Cork, if it's Clonakilty, wherever you are from, if you are in Christ, that is your primary identity. And with that identity comes massive, massive privileges. For those who are in Christ, it means that we are a new creation. 2 Corinthians 5 verse 17 says this, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. If you are in Christ, you are a new creation. If you are in Christ, you are crucified with Christ. Galatians 2 verse 20 says this, I have been crucified with Christ. Therefore, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. In Christ, you have every spiritual blessing. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3 says this, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. In Christ, you are righteous you are sanctified, you are redeemed. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30. And because of him, you are in Christ, who has become to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. No, we are not Nazarites, but we are Christians. And when we are in Christ, there are wonderful privileges that come with that. And one of the greatest of all, I think is found in Romans chapter 8, verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. No condemnation. That's who you are. That's 
your identity. And sometimes I think we sin because we forget that. And I think we sin because we forget the responsibility that that calls us to. If you are new creations, if you are redeemed and sanctified, if you are made holy, if there is no more condemnation for you, therefore, run the race. Fight the fight of faith. Live for Jesus. Don't forget who you are and who you are called to be. Because the moment Samson does is the moment that leads him to epic failure. Verse 18. Chapter 16, verse 18. When Delilah saw that he had told her all his heart, she sent and called to the lords of the Philistines saying, Come up again, for he has told me all his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. She made him sleep on her knees. And she called, on, she called a man and had him shave off the seven locks of his head. Then she began to torment him and his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke from his sleep and said, I will go out as at other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had left him. And the Philistines seized him and gouged out his eyes and brought him down to Gaza and bound him with bronze shackles and he ground at the mill in the prison. But the hair of his head began to grow again after it had been shaved. The man who burned all their grain is now grinding their grain. The man who did what was right in his own eyes now has no more eyes. Why? Because the Lord has left him. Samson, the moment he wakes up after his head is shaved, he says that sentence at the end of verse 20, I will go out as at other times and I will shake myself free. I've got this. I'll shake myself free. It will be fine. I'm the guy who lifted the gates 40 miles on the hill. I'll be fine. But without the Lord, he is nothing. Without the Lord, he has no strength. Without the Lord, he has no power. I think it would serve us well to remember that without the Lord, we are nothing. Without him in our, our lives, we have no strength, no power by the Spirit, no power to defeat sin in our lives. We must remember who we are, who we're called to be, and we must remember that we are nothing without Him. Rock of Ages, it says, Nothing in my hands I bring, simply to the cross I cling. Naked I come to Thee for dress, helpless look to Thee for grace. Foul I to the fountain fly, 
wash me, Savior, or I die. Nothing in my hands I bring. I contribute nothing toward my salvation. No works, no nothing. All grace. Samson has forgotten that he needs the Lord. And there he is, alone, with no eyes, grinding the grain. But the passage says, his hair began to grow. They didn't notice, but I'm sure he did. His hair begins to grow, and if you'll allow me to just summarize some of this for you, from verse 23 down to verse 27, here's what happens. In the Philistines, they begin to worship their god, Dagon. And they praise their god, Dagon, the grain god, for delivering Samson into uh, their hands. And they praise him and they give him worship. And then they call out Samson to entertain them. They call out Samson into this place, into this place of meeting where they are. And the place has pillars. And they bring Samson in and Samson says, oh, can you get the man to guide me near to where the pillars are? And they're drinking and they're having fun and they're going to um, use Samson for their entertainment. And so they ask, Samson asks, you know, can you bring me nearby the pillars? And of course, they invite in all their lords and they invite in 3,000, it says, men and women all into the one place. And they think they're setting it all up for Samson to entertain them, except what they're setting up is their own grave. Samson comes and he stands beside the pillar. And Samson cries out to the Lord one last time. Verse 28. Then Samson called to the Lord and said, O Lord, please remember me and please strengthen me only this once, O God, that I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. And Samson grasped the two middle pillars on which the house rested and he leaned his weight against them, his right hand on the one and his left hand on the other. And Samson said, let me die with the Philistines. Then he bowed with all his strength. And the house fell upon the Lord's and upon all the peoples who were in it. So the dead whom he killed at his death were more than those whom he killed during his life. Then his brothers and all his family came down, came down and took him and brought him up and buried him between Zoar and Eshtel in the tomb of Manoah, his father. And he judged Israel 20 years. Samson is a man who has forgotten who he is and who has forgotten who he is called to be. And who has forgotten that he is nothing without the Lord. But the Lord has not forgotten him. He cries out to the Lord. And the Lord hears him. And the Lord remembers him. And the only reason he cries out to the Lord is for what? That I may avenge on the Philistines for my two eyes. The only reason he's crying out to the Lord is for what? Revenge. Revenge. The Lord answers his prayer not for revenge's sake, but for salvation's sake. 
see, sometimes we forget who Samson was. The purpose of Samson's life was this. In Judges 13, verse 5, it says, Behold, to his mother, the angel comes to his mother and says, Behold, you shall conceive and bear a son. No razor shall come upon his head, for this child shall be a Nazarite to God from the womb. Listen to this. He shall begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. That's why Samson was born. So he could begin to save Israel from the hand of the Philistines. Samson, he begins the salvation. But he does not finish it. We want one who comes and finishes it. We want one who is not consumed with lust, not consumed with pride, not consumed with his own life and his own strength. We want one who had nothing to attract us to him. We want one much better than Samson, who not only begins our salvation, but who finishes it. We want the Lord Jesus. We want a Savior like Him. And that's what the book of Judges screams time and time again. You don't want Gideon. You don't want him. You don't want Samson. You don't want him. You want a better Savior and a better rescuer and one who can save you right until the end. We may forget the Lord. We may forget who we are and who we are called to be. But the cross tells us this. Our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, He has not forgotten you. He has not forgotten you. And so I would call on you this morning. If you have not trusted the Lord Jesus as your Savior, if you have not given your life over to Him, This morning is the morning to trust Him, to live for Him, to love Him, to see Him as your King. Let's pray. Lord, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You for this book of Judges. What an amazing, convicting, crazy book it is. And yet, Lord, we thank You Lord Jesus, that appoints us ultimately to you. And so, Lord, I pray as we take these final few moments of our service to remember your death on our behalf, you taking the punishment that we deserved, you being crushed for our iniquities. Lord, I pray that that would cause us to remember you in your name. Amen. Steve.